The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show today. I'm really glad that you can join me for this conversation because today is going to be really special. The conversation is going to be about education and what's really going on in our classrooms. We're going to take an unfiltered look at the teachers and administrators' experience and talk about what needs to change. My mother was a teacher for her whole career, I think 30 or 40 years, and things have changed. I mean, I graduated in 1983. I never worried about some lunatic coming into the school with an assault rifle, and kids definitely have a lot more on their plate, and the teachers and administrators do too. So today we're going to have an unfiltered and raw conversation about what's really happening in our school system. My guests today are two teachers and administrators who have been in the school system for years. They're in Florida, but I'm not sharing their names or where exactly they work so that they can really speak candidly and share their experience. Bernice has been in the education system for 15 years as a teacher and an administrator. And Marjorie has been in the school system for almost 30 years as a teacher and has been an administrator for many years as well. And they're going to share candidly and raw what's going on, what their experience is in the schools. So they're joining me today on Zoom. So welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time today. I know it's summertime and you guys would rather be out partying and decompressing from dealing with kids and parents. So I'm glad you could join me today for the show. Absolutely. Of course, we feel it's important. Well, get in close to the mic so people can hear you. So okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to introduce you both. And I just want to get a little background so people know your cred. Like you guys have been in the system for a long time. You've seen and heard it all. And I know that you've both shared stories with me that have made my hair stand on end of what's going on. So Bernice, why don't you go first? And you've been in the education system for 15 years and counting. Is that right? 15, yeah, 15 years. Started out uh, teaching in London, actually, uh, abroad, and then uh, brought my career, uh, you know, for an experience back uh, to where I, where I taught for a while and did some out-of-the-classroom experiences working with uh, teachers that are about to get, uh, you know, fired and put on a plan and then became an administrator. So you're currently an administrator right now? Yes. Okay. And Marjorie, tell me a little bit about your experience because you've been in the education system 
longer than Bernice. So you've been in the classroom as a teacher and also as an administrator. Correct. I started out and when, when I did go into the classroom, uh, the environment was different because what we were doing was we were integrating schools and we were, we were producing magnet schools. There were magnet programs. And these programs were to attract students, uh, more Caucasian students to your African-American communities that were uh, struggling. And so I started there. And from there, I worked at that particular school for over 10 years. And I took on various roles there as a department chair um, teacher that was elementary. Then I moved to middle and I became a reading coach slash teacher in the classroom teaching reading to students that were struggling, struggling readers that were overage um, and really uh, with uh, various problems and concerns. Mm -hmm. And then I took that role to another school that was the same type of school, Title I, struggling and I became um, a reading coach there. They changed it to more literacy because you work with all the departments. And then at that same school, I became an administrator. So, which is actually where Marjorie and I met. And yeah. uh, you know, love that you're always giving the in-depth side of the uh, intro there, Marge. <laughs> but uh, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, but that's where we met. And I originally, when I began in Florida, began in an area that was more uh, fluent. And uh, when I met Marjorie, it was in one of these Title One Eastern schools. And that's kind of where our story actually begins together as colleagues, but uh, as friends as well, too. So, yeah. So when you were both working together, now you're both at different schools. Bernice, you're still at the same school where the two of you met, right? So just to be sure, clear, yeah. would that be considered an inner city school? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Urban environment, uh, inner city, but also more of a blue collar working class as well. Urban. Or I would say more urban than inner city. Inner city isn't really. Yeah. yeah. It's title one. It's you know title one. one is that um, they have and reduced lunch. Over 80% of the student population, right. the parents earn below poverty level and the students you, you qualify by having uh, over 52% of your kids receiving free and reduced lunch. Now that's changed a little bit with COVID. We know yeah, right. that all the kids got lunch, which oh, I thought got, yeah. was important because they're throwing away uh, food every day, which is ridiculous. But anyway, that's a whole different subject for another podcast. So Title I is where kids are getting some help. They're getting free and reduced lunches. So you could assume that a lot of the families and the parents are both working, right? They're working class people, they're struggling. Well, not necessarily working. Some of them are receiving assistance and aid and they don't work. You know, after COVID, a lot of people felt it was um, more beneficial for them monetarily to stay home and not work. So, you know, but yes, if you wanna um, put, yeah, kind of like, if you're trying to say that, I don't know though, but then a lot of the uh, the students that we deal with, and this is where a lot of our stories spawn from, is they're getting into things like uh, Grand Theft Auto in middle school. They're stealing cars. They're doing all sorts yeah. of stuff. They're in gangs. You know, I, you got kid in with fresh ink on his arm, you know, hiding it from, you know, with his grandma's initials and, you know, oh, we're, 
did at his neighbor's house. You know, the hairs come up. You go, whoa. So, you know, the parenting, I, I don't, the, we, we're, we become the parents in a Title I school. Administrators like Marjorie and I become the, become the parent at the school. You become the kids. parents at the school. That's really yeah, interesting. Right. So would it be safe to say you feel a lot of times more like babysitters than educators? Um, no, I mean, I don't like to use the word babysitter. I think that that really came into play more so during COVID when um, students were online and working remotely. Um, teachers were working remotely and then you know, they saw, parents saw how, you know, difficult it was and what we were really going through in a day. They couldn't keep Johnny focused for more than five minutes at the computer. So I wouldn't say babysitter, but I would say that, you know, more than babysitter, I would say therapist, teacher, parent. Mm. There's so many roles. What, don't you agree, Bernice? I mean, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there's so many. Yeah. And, you know, Teaching them the things that boundaries. the kids tell us that they they don't tell their parents and what's going on in the home, parents would die. They have no idea what we know, right? Well, let's get into that a little bit because that's where things really get interesting because you're really on the front lines with a lot of these kids. And let's talk about the age of these kids just to establish that. So they're what, 11 to 13? 11 to 14, 14. 15, pushing it. We, uh, we live with an overage situation as well due to circumstance and exactly yeah. the cyclical cycle we're talking about here yeah so so, so the majority would you say the kids are like pre-teens right yeah 11, 12 13 just to kind of get the age group so we're, we're thinking about what these yeah. kids are dealing with and you're saying that you're their therapist a lot of the time so what are some of the things that the, these kids are coming to you that you don't feel their parents really know about well, I mean, you have a sixth grader, you know, coming into our office and, you know, really having a lot of emotional angst because they're now saying they identify as a male and or a female, or they like girls or they like boys if they're, if they're a young man. So they're confused and they don't know who to speak to. So we're being you know, we sit there and, and the kid comes in and you can clearly see that they're on the verge and they're, you know, they're really Absolutely. breaking down, you know, and they want to talk to us. Mm -hmm. And and also too, we keep all that in confidence unless we know that a student is going to be a harm to themselves and or others, you know, we're their confidant and the kids have so much to say. And it's, I think as a parent nowadays, which I have a child that's a teen, going into high school that you really um, need to listen to your kids. You know, there's a lot going on out there and parents do not know. They think they know and all the things they're watching on YouTube videos and all that stuff, parents have no clue. Wow. So parents have no idea these kids are watching, you know, maybe highly sexualized or really violent videos and content. And well, it, it's kind of like trying to hold back a tidal wave, right? How can a parent really watch their kid 24 seven and monitor those kinds of influences. And, and you're there eight hours a day, right? Absolutely. I don't think that the parents can do that, but I do think that you need to be in their business. You need to open the lines of communication and, you know, have those conversations and, and make it so that 
What do you mean, Bernice? You know, you hear that. Yeah, I mean, stories. I'm just listening because I'm thinking, you know, being a little bit on the younger side with this. I mean, I certainly uh, also was at an age where I didn't have a cell phone until I was in, in, in middle of high school, which I know is different from your time. But my point in saying that is the parents of, that are having kids now, the parent age of children now of adolescents that we uh, serve every day are also a generation that was born with the cell phone in their hand. So they are kind of in this cycle of not knowing, you know, how to get out of it because they don't know. Uh, it's all they've known as well. And it's escalated so much. And I think that's kind of what brings a lot of the tech and what's being viewed and all that. Also, uh, you know, part of the part of the problem, because it's not even just the it, it is the monitoring, but it's um, you don't have conversations anymore. They don't you talk. sit down. Yeah. To you go to dinner. The kid yeah. has the phone out on the table. You know, I'm reprimanding a child. They're coming into my office. They have their cell phone in their hand. I go, you need to put that cell phone away now. Yeah. We're having a conversation. Put it away. Turn it off. You know, parents are afraid to do it. I don't know if they're afraid. I don't know if they, you know, parents want to be more friends with their kids. It's not like when we were growing up. We're not, I'm not your friend. You know, and that's the problem. We cross that line. You know, like you want to say, oh, it's okay to do this. It's a, no, you have to establish and be the authoritarian in that house. And these kids, when they want to come into the office and they have a situation, first of all, you're going to put the cell phone down. You're going to talk to me. And, that, and that's, that's the importance of, you know, having a conversation. We, they don't sit down to dinner anymore. You know, I make it a point. My, in my family, we have dinner. Every day we sit down, we make a meal, we talk about our day. People are so far removed from that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't feel that it's socioeconomic. I feel that, you know, you can establish that time to, you know, make it important to sit down and talk. Well, you bring up an interesting point because certainly when I was in high school, I never had a cell phone and we, you know, were just kind of getting hip to computers, you know, back in the 80s. So I was technically you know, oblivious at that point, but it's really no way around it in this day and age. Kids are going to have phones. They're going to be connected in ways that we never were. And so it, it really is a challenge. So you see that as a big issue, right? Yeah. And I think it segues into the classroom too, because we as administrators, they come in the office for the same reason of, oh, you know, this teacher, you know, you said she, you know, you know, asshole always making me put okay, it's about teaching the norms. You got to teach social norms. You have to teach them how to be, uh, have the right moral character. You have to have them, you know, teach the kids how to be proper in a situation is what I think you were trying to say, Marjorie. They don't know their, the manners, how to, you know, a cell phone's going to be in your hand no matter what, when to use it, when to not. And a teacher, just to segue into that, when to get into an argument or a battle over something like that, you know, take a reflection on your practice. It's 2022. The kids are going to have a cell phone. But establish how you want that cell phone to be integrated into your classroom. Correct. You know, establish those rules. I mean, I had a, I had a teacher I'll never forget when I was working at um, Bernice's school. And first of all, he put himself in a position where he grabbed this, went to grab the cell phone out of the kid's hand. I mean, physically, I mean, that's their like lifeline, man. You don't do that. And then the kid went to grab it back, which at the same time, the teacher's tie got caught into it. The kid was choking the teacher to death and the teacher <laughs> wanted to charge the kid with assault against a staff member. Now, wait a minute. 
you put yourself in a position to take a phone away from a 13 year old who PS, by the way, probably, uh, you know, paid a lot for that phone and, and couldn't afford it. And that's their like, that is so important. It's their lifeline, you know? And so this teacher is getting into a battle with this. You don't do it. You just don't do it. You know what I'm talking about. That's so interesting. So kind of moving into the role that you play being quote, a a parent during the day while their kids are there. Like, how do you make, how do you make those decisions or those calls into what should really, you should really deal with the parent over, you know, where you're in that position with the kid and you're trying, you know, do you discipline the kid? Like, what do you do in that situation? Honestly, there's a lot of ethical leadership that comes into play. You have to assess the situation. You need to make sure certain harm isn't that way. I'll, I'll never forget this one, Marjorie, because this is a little bit of a backwards one. You were there uh, when, you, when we worked together our first year. There was this father that came up to the school because he wanted to see his three kids, and he was in a panic, total panic mode. And uh, he said he was missing something like $4,000 of cash that he had hidden in his pillowcases and his mattress, all this stuff. And he demanded to see his children. Well, by law in the state of Florida, parent registered parent uh, comes in, they have the right to see their, their kids. But uh, as we were bringing, you you know, we got the, you get, you kind of catch the vibe of the situation. You knew, you knew something wasn't right, but as we were going to get the kids, some of the kids were shaken, nervous, all this. So you're kind of in this situation where you're ethically trying to figure out what's in the best interest for these kids and the students. Uh, and then now you got this parent that's demanded to see the kids over this missing money. Uh, long story short, you know, we ended up doing the right thing. You always have a witness when you search. Uh, these kids did actually steal the money from the dad because uh, him and his girlfriend were such drug addicts that they were trying to Uh, essentially take this money so they could eat and pay the rent and do all the other things that were going on, but they were scared to do it. We found it uh, in the soles of their shoes, you know, hiding under jail, jail type type stuff. So, you know, I don't know, it brings me to that story. It's one I'll never, it was one of my first ones when I became an administrator and I go, whoa, better be buckling up for this job because, you know, we also knew at the time that, uh, you know, the kids now needed help. So what do we do? You have to activate a social work referral. You got to get the family resources outside of the school. And uh, you continue to build that trust because as Marjorie is, is saying, any, these kids don't, uh, you know, what the way, the style of our leadership is the kids come into our office because they trust us. And that's where you have to be. These people come in with, with their stiff and, you know, they're thinking, oh, they have to be, you know, first of all, I was, you know, if you haven't been through things in your life, I've experienced, I know when the kids are partying, when they come in stone and they'll relate and they'll speak to me because I'm, I'm not there to bust you. I'm there to talk to you, to help you. And if you, if you go in there with an attitude like, oh, you know, you can't curse in my office. You can't, no, they're not going to relate to you. I am not saying give them a free pass, but I am saying let them let them speak to you and speak openly because otherwise they're going to hide specific situations. Listen, I've had kids that have prevented another kid from possibly committing suicide because they you know, relayed to me that this kid was in danger. And then we sent 
um, the police, the local police to do a wellness check. And the kid was actually physically in the house going to harm himself. And so you have to open the lines of communication and stop. Don't be this stiff ass uh, administrator that thinks, you know, oh, you're uptight. You gotta be able to relate to these kids and know what they're dealing with and, and know how to talk to kids and stop blowing smoke up their ass. They're not gonna, you know, because the kids will tell us, they say, we don't like you, we don't like so-and-so. That, you know, particularly when we go in to observe the teacher, they're like, she never does that unless you're in here. Oh, or that's, never, yeah, that's, that's the worst. worst. That's the worst. They go, oh God, Miss Bernice. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, that, that teacher hasn't even gone up out of the desk. You know, their knees are cracking and popping. They haven't yeah. gone out. Oh, I mean, you know, they're putting on because we have to do those formal observations. And so, you know, that's going into a whole segueing into a whole nother area where. Well, well, let's, know, let's kind of dive into that just a little bit, because I remember uh, Marjorie, you sharing a video with me that I thought was, was just so eye-opening of a teenage kid in a school. Let me know if you remember this, where the kid was confronting the teacher and he was saying, you're the worst teacher I've ever had. You just sit there and you read your book. You don't even teach the class. I want to learn something. You're not teaching me anything. And I the teacher was video. just telling him to shut up and, and, and get out of the class. She was throwing him out and he was challenging her. Right. And I but, thought he was, I thought it was great. I like it. You know, there's, Kids are very smart individuals. Let me tell you what. And they know teachers that really care. And they know teachers that are just like biding their time in the system because we all do it. And, and believe me, it's not for the money, but you, you have a job, you have stability, you have insurance. And these kids see it. And they say that when they, when they get kicked out and the teacher's like, oh, I couldn't stand um, what you call it was acting up in the class. Let's say a name, Johnny was acting up and I threw him out. I'm like, well, what did he do? Well, he wasn't sitting down or he refused to do his work. Well, you know what? Why don't you make the work engaging? Why don't you engage the learner and get up there and talk and stop, you know, just sitting behind your desk. Now I have some really great teachers and I respect them. And then I have some that in any profession, they're just, you know, Marjorie, I mean, you know, Bernice, you see it all the time. They just are like doing, you know, getting by. And those are the ones- Bare minimum. Bare minimum. We need to get those out. I'm tired of that. And that's back to my uh, former job. That's that's when, yeah. I, when I mentioned that. And that's that what you did, it. right, Bernice? So let, let's let uh, the listeners know that when a teacher, it's, it's difficult to get rid of a bad teacher, right? They kind of get shuttled that's from district to district. Please. And- Please, I mean, I mean, talk about- three strikes and you're out. <laughs> There's nothing like that. They, you know, it's more like much, a cat with nine lives. How about that? So. Pretty much have to engage in sexual activity with a minor before you can get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. So really you're saying they have to commit a major crime before you can really get rid of them? Absolutely. Yeah, if you're just evaluating a teacher, which yeah. is what my role is on their actual instructional practice and what, they're, what and how they're educating the kids through standards implementation... And like uh, Marjorie said, um, engagement and all these things. Oh yeah, you gotta have a history of poor end of year evaluations, all that kind of stuff. But if if they're still going to the meetings and going to the PLCs and being a participant, they're gonna slide by as a uh, as a um, average employee. At least effective. At least an effective employee that they're gonna um, and maintain a job. In order to get terminated, uh, how about this one? Maybe you should. Uh, you know, all the things with COVID, you know, 
maybe fornicating on the screen that could get you a termination yeah please fornicating on the screen. i mean the they Zoom had we had there's there were teachers that were caught by students because they had to do live sessions through mm -hmm. the platform that they used in uh, this particular district and there were teachers that mistakenly left their camera on during a live teaching session and were caught you know uh, engaging in a sexual act with their a significant other. I mean, kids all reported it. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? No, no, absolutely. We're not kidding you. We are not kidding you. And from what I know of the situation, this is the point. You know, yes, that that individual was terminated. Okay, but guess what? That individual is also a pretty guard, god darn good teacher. You know what I'm saying? So you asked a question: Can you get rid of a bad teacher for being a bad teacher? No, but you have to do something that's crossing a contract barrier. It, it, it's backwards, it's backwards. Yeah. It, wow. It's definitely not, I mean, I'm not saying either one of those has the interest of kids at the best uh, forefront, but it, it certainly isn't easy to get rid of just a quote unquote bad teacher. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to say that both of us, we dealt with one individual that was uh, performing uh, poorly. I mean, that's to say the least. And when I left my location, that uh, Bernice had to take over the case. And this guy was, I'm telling you, rock bottom, the epitome of a poor teacher, bad for kids. And all that happened at the end, after both of us going through a lot of stress, meeting with this person, taking a lot of abuse from that person, you know, because you have to stand your ground as an administrator. You have to be able to have those strong conversations regarding what you see and observe. And guess what? At the end of the day, that teacher was just moved and transferred to another school so they would become their problem. So it's, it's just a bad, it's sick bad cycle. Yeah, terrible. Wow. So they just move people around like a, a pedophile priest, you know, where they just move exactly. them from one diocese to the next. So that being said- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that was the first thing that, that came to Sorry, my yeah. comparison, but that, that being said that, okay, there's, there may be, there's a lot of dead wood in the system. What do you think needs to be done to attract new and exciting people and get people excited now about being a teacher? Do you think that's possible? Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Well, the thing that you really need to do is pay, pay teachers their worth. In any other industry, you know, first of all, teachers aren't even paid, you know, for the cost of living in society today. I mean, so you have teachers that are working two and three jobs mm -hmm. to, you know, afford to live and support a family. You know, if you are going to attract good teachers, you know, raise the annual salary raise the pay. I mean, this is ridiculous. Teachers are not, you know, you have to go through now me as an administrator, I had to go. I mean, I'm only on, they used to do steps in the system where you would be given a raise. 
I'm at the highest, you know, I'm not even going to get another step before I retire. It's ridiculous. You don't get paid for what you do, you know? And so the teachers nowadays, particularly when they were in, you know, when we were in COVID, they had to learn a whole new way to teach. They had to learn how to put everything into an online, you know, canvas uh, module and, and really teach a different way. And so you're telling teachers to rethink the whole, you know, their whole way of just, you know, teaching and have assignments embedded into this modules and everything like that and, and not pay them their worth. And so here's the thing, you really need to one, raise the annual salary for teachers starting out. These kids nowadays, they, they, they scoff at that. Nobody wants to be in education anymore. And I don't blame them. You're not getting paid you know, what's your work? And you know what? It's interesting you say that, Marjorie, because I even had a kid the other day talk to me. And one thing that uh, my current principal found so important was that we always, during ceremonies and things, always announced where we graduated college from. Because these students nowadays don't even realize that educators and their teachers that are sitting in front of them have to have a college degree. They don't, they don't, they don't even know with all the ways that's money, ways to make money now, just to bring it back again with the apps on the phone and everything that's going on on Instagram, gaming, apps, gaming. they don't think you have, do. have to do anything. Yeah. So it's like, we're in a weird pause. And to be honest with you, um, Diane, when you asked that question, I looked at you, Marjorie, because I, I don't, I didn't really, I don't know the answer. I, I have a young, one of my younger sisters was a second grade teacher in uh, Virginia in a uh, really uh, immigrant immigrant city, a small little city. And she dealt with a lot of the same Title I issues, but on a, a more intimate level because she was elementary. And she's now a stay-at-home mom raising her daughter, but uh, she has the passion as an educator, but there's so many things that I know are still holding her back from going back, going back in. Yeah. So uh, honestly, for me, uh, it, it leaves me a little more on the... Uh, befuddled side I don't know I don't and know. the respect factor too teachers you know it used to be that your teacher would call home and the parent would join in and respect the teacher they don't the parents do not respect what the teacher says it used to happen you know oh your your teacher called home and your parent would be like what did Mrs. Smith have to say today nowadays they don't say that in fact the parent sides with the kid not even knowing the whole scope of the situation. And so teachers don't feel supported. You have to support your teachers. You know, again, you're going to have really, really good teachers and you're going to have teachers that are, again, just biding their time. But those that are really doing a bang up job, they need that support. If I call your home and you see that the teacher is not one of those that calls all the time, support me, Support what I'm saying. And then as the administrator, when I call you and tell you that Johnny was having sex in the bathroom, you know, with a girl. Johnny's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. And this is what you're seeing. This is what you're seeing in middle school. This Absolutely. is what we're seeing. Middle school. Being in the bathroom, out of oh. control, smoking. But it's not like when we were, you know, everybody would go and hide and have a cigarette. No, they're smoking yeah. dab oil. I have a... um. I have a big, one of those big animal cracker jars, you know, that you can get at Costco or something like that, those clear jars that all year I keep it in my office and I keep it even visible for when the parents come in because it's an educational tool. I just fill it up with all the vapes that I confiscate. 
I got all, every color of the rainbow and every flavor under the sun, okay? And when parents come in, they, I go, yeah, this is what's being confiscated from your children here at this school. This is it. Wow. So teachers are, you know, no respect and no money. That's going to be really tough to bring new people into the industry. Yeah, and what, so what's a starting salary right now for a, like a first year elementary teacher? I, About I mean, it's in the 50s. In, in the 50s, maybe? 50s? Is it, is it 50s? 50s? I'm not even sure right now. I'll have to look you might out. have been generous. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're being generous. Yeah, I think you're being generous. I think 42, 43. And, and a lot of kids will be, or, or people who are thinking about as a career, they'll say, oh, forget it. I can do something else. Absolutely. And, and then the get... kids are, are seeing that, well, I can be like a Kardashian influencer on Instagram. And that's a, and that's a career move. It's a career move for them. And they, uh, they see it as a way. Absolutely. So teachers in, in, you know, about, about 44 grand. Yeah. That's starting salary. <laughs> 40, so saying, 44 you know, is starting salary, which I don't see how you could even live on, on that money. Maybe in, you know, podunk somewhere would be possible, exactly. but, cer- but like certainly ridiculous. not in, uh, you but know, not in the area that we, that- Right, not in the area that we frequent, no. But also all that goes into being a teacher, it takes a lot of time, your lesson planning and, you know, grading papers and everything else that, you know, learning of new technologies, taking professional development, there's a lot that goes into it. And so the teachers, as I said before, earlier in the podcast, there are, you know, doing different jobs on the side. I have teachers that leave from my building and they go to teach night school to earn extra money. So they're doing other things on the side, selling scentsy candles or something like that, for God's sakes, because they're not making ends meet. We really need to think about how we value education in this country today. We don't. And let's not get even get into all that we're up against with threat assessments, and, you know, having to do all these exercises to prepare for somebody to come in with a assault rifle and blow your freaking head off, you know, so this is where we're at. Yeah, it's pretty dire right now. And we haven't even really touched too much on that particular issue with people coming in schools with guns. I mean, I did a little research before our conversation today, you know, from from Columbine in 1999 to what just recently happened in Uvalde, Texas at Robb Elementary, there have been 169 dead, 169 dead as a result of U.S. school shootings. And there have been 14 mass shootings at U.S. schools since Columbine. It's just mind blowing. You know, the, the climate that kids are dealing with now and teachers and parents, something that was unthinkable to us as kids in school. I mean, when, when you go in during the day or you go in in the morning, is that, that's on the back of your mind, right? I mean, do you think that that code red or whatever alert could happen at any moment? You know what it is, is that we wear so many hats that the answer to the question for me is a, is a hard yes, because you're always, you, you know, you got that kid crying on your arm because the mom just yelled at her and called her a bitch as she got out of the car and told her she was dressed like a slut, you know, crying in your shoulder. And then you're looking around assessing your car loop and you might see a mysterious car parked under a tree. Of course, I'm going to call on the radio for my deputy to come check it out. So 
So is it a matter of being on pins and needles? Like you think someone's going to just, you know, show up, at, you know, to engage in the act? Maybe not. But in regard to keeping uh, on your toes and acting like a security as the same time you're a therapist and your same time you're a parent. Yeah, it, it puts you on major edge, puts you on major edge. But the, I'll tell you right now, the students, they're numb to it. The students are, uh, they don't, they, they take it very seriously. Uh, in, in my in my circumstance, at least where I am, I can share. They take the, the drills that we do monthly seriously in, in those things. And we've, we've had, <clears throat> you know, that. But when it comes to what happened in, in, in Uvalde, when you talk to the kids, I, I don't see a lot of them. It's 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 unfortunately become a norm to them, and they're they're not. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? This, it, this time who would have thought? Think, okay, we're gonna have another drill. You know, I see them going through the motions, but I I mean, who would have thought that we're just gonna have you know a code red drill and 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 you know. So take us, take us through that, you know, because that's something that I never experienced as a kid in school. And now kids have to worry about that code red. So what happens when you do a drill that there's an active shooter in the school? Well, it's a complete lockdown. Like teachers have to board up their door. They barricade themselves in the room. They have a blind area where they go, either they lock themselves in the closet and all the kids pile into a closet. And here's the other thing, you better put in there some supplies like snacks and things and something for the kids to go to the bathroom in because they can't leave. And while we're still under a code red, there is absolutely no movement. So those kids are in there and particularly in the elementary, they're, they're crying in the corner. You know, you have to really um, know how to calm the kids down you have to be ready, and it, it's a lot. This wow! Year we, so, this year, when we were on a um, we were on a code red this year uh, for a good three hours solid. And it's funny you bring that up. I had yeah. teachers texting me about the restroom, and you know what? The humility in me. I I had to I had to say, you know what? I go, you know what, Miss B. I, I'm sorry to tell you, but you got to get the garbage can, and you got to have the kid go under the desk. No movement, can't move helicopters were thumping over our heads okay i mean i was in a real one this year you know yeah and again so it's, it's, so it's it, a norm it's now. a dime a dozen it's yeah. two days later it was at another you have to prepare for you have freaking cookies in your desk yeah you gotta you prepare. Get, you, know, prepare you know you know we did uh we we actually have emergency red bags now that we put in place that every classroom has for that yeah, and also good, other yeah. things like off-campus evacs and stuff like yeah, that yeah you need to have a bunch of you gotta be surprised and and p.s by the way that's another thing that teachers are buying out of their pocket, you know, um, all that extra, you know, the, the treats and snacks and everything for the kids. It, it's a lot. It's just a lot. But the kids, they just, you know, some of them, they start crying and freak out, but majority just kind of go and roll with it. That's unbelievable. So I'm equating this to back in the day, which seems a million years ago and, you know, almost Little House on the Prairie, you know, we would get aggravated that our day was disrupted by a fire drill. And now you're talking that teachers are told to hide in the closet. Kids have to pile in one sequestered area and they're locked down for a good hour or so, maybe longer. And the teachers are paying for supplies, snacks and water or something. They have to have that in the room just in case. That's the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And just to clarify, I segued because it just, I, I felt passionate in the moment, but 
There's a difference between a drill, the monthly drill, which a school can complete in approximately five minutes because yeah, you're exactly. clearing your hallways you're and you're, you're on a time constraint. You're, everyone's in their safe zones walking the hall. That's a drill. But when you go into a real code red, which is what I was describing that occurred this year because there was um, activity in the neighborhood and then someone hopped onto the campus with a weapon, um, with that three-hour lockdown, yeah. Wow. So you were actually in a code red situation, Bernice. And how terrified were you and the kids at that moment? Horrified. And to be honest with you, I was in my office by myself and um, I was by myself. I was by myself in my office and I had teachers texting me from their room. Um, so to be alone or to be with the classroom at 20, I don't know what would be better or worse, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I had teachers texting me, reaching out to me. It, it was horrible. I, it think was... You're, I think by yourself is different, it, but having the responsibility yeah. of 21 some odd children, people's children, they have parents to know that if at any point in time, somebody could come in and blow their head off. I mean, I have to be responsible for that child. I have to make sure everybody's quiet. I have to make sure that we barricaded the door. They literally put desks and tables and everything in front of the door for a real situation. And so then you go into your safe zone again, until you're given that clearance. So the kids are, you know, sometimes they freak out. It depends, you know, so you have to be prepared. You have to know what to do. And, you know, I feel a responsibility because I know, you know, as a parent, I would want somebody to watch out for my child. I, I feel responsible for people's kids. I feel responsible for keeping them safe. It's just it unbelievable the, the situation that we're in and how much things have changed. So I, I just want to ask you, you're both in kind of different stages in, in your careers. And Marjorie, you're actually maybe looking at retirement in what, a couple of years? Yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm close to the 30 year mark, give it a few months. And so I have to decide, you know, I enjoy what I do mostly it's the kids and, you know, a lot of the teachers that I said that are really into doing the best for our children. I really want to stay for that, but um, I get burnt out and tired with, you know, district and non-supportive people that are sitting kind of like in the ivory tower and then tell us what to do and don't know what's going on. They're so far removed from school base, what we do every day. And it gets to be bullshit. You know, we get tired of that. And then telling us what we're doing wrong when they're not here. So I think that that situation makes me want to not go into drop or not, you know, extend my time. But again, we're living in an economy there. I would have to pay for my own insurance because I'm not old enough. So, you know, I started out in education, you know, my early, early 20s, right out of high school. So therefore, I haven't reached that age yet. But I do wonder what's going to happen. And then I also I have a responsibility to the kids that I serve. I feel like who's going to be there for them? You know, I just really, you know, I open up my door. I have an open door. Pot. When they feel a need to come talk to me, I give them a safety pass. They can come see me. They can come talk to me about what's going on. And so I just wonder if we're, you know, training people in the same way 
And that's something that I'm thinking about segueing to in my own life when I get out as an exit plan, you know, working with new teachers and giving them the experiences that I've had. Well, I can tell that you're really passionate about the kids and about what you do. And what about you, Bernice? I mean, do you feel that you could stick it out for a few more years in education? Do you still feel that you're passionate about it and making a difference? Or do you feel, frankly, like burnt out? What do you 50, think? 50. What's that? 50, 50 is my answer. I feel 50, half and half is how I feel. Yeah, I, uh, you know, listening to Marjorie speak that way, um, I learned how to do the job that I do as an administrator from Marjorie, essentially, uh, hand in hand, foot in foot during our first year. And I saw the way she, you know, established those relationships, gained the trust, got on the same page with the parents, whether or not they came in with, you know, tattoos on their face, their neck, and then short booty shorts, like they just came off the pole from the club, yeah. you know, all of it. Well, uh, the thing of it and, is, it's a way that you talk to people yeah. too. You, right. everybody just wants to be heard. Correct. And so I told her my, from my experiences is that I never wanted the parent to feel that I'm coming off as I'm better than you or anything. I'm not. I, I was there willing to listen to their story. And so when you do that and you, you work with the kid, you know, you don't want to throw the kid under the bus and act like, oh, well, I'm just going to give the kid the optimum uh, sentence for, um, you know, a consequence that was, you know, minimal. And so you kind of play with the consequences based on, you know, you knowing the system and how to work it and also, you know, work with the parents. So I worked with Bernice on that and I, I work with a lot of my beginning teachers. It's all in the way you speak to somebody. And I think that that really makes a difference in how you're received. Well, so it's been... with that being said, I mean, I'm going to stick it out. I will stick it out. I have the same, you know, passion to want to still be with the kids, but I became an administrator really young in my career, really young. I still have a good 15 years to go. Um, so, you know, the, the, the day old question for me that I get from a lot of my colleagues, friends and, uh, personal, you know, as well and family is, do I want to become a principal? I mean, cause I'm at the age in my career where that would be the natural next step. And it comes up all the time, but my answer, uh, honestly, at this point is a hard, no, I don't, I, I like kind of being, uh, with my boots in the ground. Um, I am burnt out, but I, we take these times to recharge, um, it's hard. You have to love what you do. So I, I'm, I'm in it till my 52 at this point, and then I'm going to do a career shift. Yeah. And here's the thing too, is that you have to understand, you have to be out and about amongst your people. Yes. And as a principal, sometimes you're caught up in having to go to these district meetings, which PS, by the way, those meetings are like pointless at times. I mean, all they do is have somebody a talking head. You need to be on your campus. You need to be out and about. You, your teachers need to see you. I go into all my teachers' classrooms. I teach their class. There is not one time they ask me if they're feeling ill, if they need to leave. I'm in front of their class. Hey, I'm not a great mathematician. That wasn't my area of expertise, but I'll go in there and stand in there for a teacher and work with the kids. I start conversations with them. You know, so being as an assistant principal, you're more grassroots, you're like out and about, you're amongst your people. It's a little bit different. So I can see where Bernice um, does not want to, you know, look to a principal role 
you know, at this present time, because it's just different. It's a different role. We are the ones that are dealing with, you know, all of the, the you know, right there on the campus, the hot stuff. Well, I think that the kids and the parents are really lucky to have people like you in the positions that you're in. And uh, just listening to what you both have been through is really amazing. So, you know, it's summertime and you guys are decompressing. So what's the plan for the summer? What do you guys got planned? Oh, shoot. The, the plan is to, you know, definitely not do summer school. I think you need to recharge the battery. It's important to really, you know, do things that make you happy. I mean, definitely uh, having some time to unwind, relax, visit with family and friends, very important. I think that's where I'm headed, you know, a little bit of, little bit of partying and a little Prosecco <laughs> out by the pool, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Is that yeah, your plan, the- Bernice? A little Prosecco by the pool to, you know, that, that decompress? Keeps, yeah, that, uh, that and what else that keeps the decompression coming. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both for your service because it seems like you're almost in wartime. <laughs> Yeah, I know, of- right? Yeah. Well, you know what? We're one week into our four-week vacation that we get as administrators, so uh, you know we're we're still un- unraveling. Well, thank you both for spending some time with me and the listeners of this podcast, whoever's out there, you know, spinning on the internet that happens to hear this. You know, just know that these are real stories and real people, and be nice. You know, kiss a teacher today, right? And an administrator. And more. To- <laughs> more- more interesting stories to come. We haven't even scratched the surface, but uh, we're here to um, let the teachers know we support them. And, you know, education is a tough field, uh, but we love it. It's, you got to be passionate. That's all I have to say. You have it to is. be passionate. It is a tough field. And I've, I've watched what you guys go through and my own mom. And I'm definitely going to have you guys back on because there's still more stories that we couldn't get to. So we'll have oh. you back on again. So many. Mm. Well, you know, Bernice, I think it's that time to go have a Prosecco. I was going to say, you said passionate, (laughs) and all I could think of was passion fruit. Passion fruit martinis. Cheers. All right, girls. Thanks for having us on. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.